After that introduction, I want to meet myself. <laughs> we all know the truth about ourselves, don't we? We should know the truth about ourselves. Um, Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity to preach. I thank you for your word. And I thank you, dear Lord, that you love us. And you love us enough, dear Lord, to uh, even discipline us. And we thank that you love us that way, dear Lord. You, you said, dear Lord, that you don't discipline those that aren't your children. You only discipline your children. So we're grateful, dear Lord, you discipline us. You don't, allow, you don't turn us over like you do the world. You speak to us. You touch us. You minister to us. And we are grateful. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us understand more of your discipline even this day. Lord Jesus, in your name we ask this. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we call... The, the study we're doing, we, the book, is called Acts. On uh, some titles in the Bible, it says Acts of the Apostles. But it really should be Acts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I wrote down a few of the acts that took place before our, this passage that we're going to speak on today. Uh, Jesus is taken into heaven right before their eyes. The Holy Spirit came down. Uh, 50 days after Christ's resurrection. Uh, the disciples speak, speak in tongues. Uh, the, uh, Peter preaches and 3,000 people get saved. Everyone was filled with awe of the disciples. Wonders and miracles were done by the apostles. Believers together every day they came together every day. Selling possessions no one had need. Breaking bread in their homes. The Lord added to their numbers daily. Peter heals the crippled beggar. The church grows to over 5,000 people. And, P and Peter and John are arrest arrested and released. After prayer, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Wouldn't you like to see this place shake <laughs> after the place we were meeting? I grew up in Southern California, and we didn't want to hear any shaking, but it would be all right here. Uh, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. With great power, the apostles testified of the resurrection. No needy people among them, people selling land. The Holy Spirit was moving through all the believers. And now we come to, the, to today's text. And I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 5. And I want to read from 1 through 11. I don't know if I can see <laughs> Okay, I better use my Bible. That's too far away. Um, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, <clears throat> also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. He brought, he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit 
and have kept for yourself some of the money. You received uh, some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for your land? Yes, she said, that is the price. And Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. It says, Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Wow. Complete contrast to what has been going on before. Ananias and Sapphira lying. And uh, immediately, immediate barrels, great fear seizing the church. Uh, and I'd like to break this down a little bit for us. Uh, first of all, I'd like to, I, when Pastor Dan asked me to do this portion of Scripture, <laughs> every time I read through this portion of Scripture, I think how fast they were buried. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. How fast they were buried. <laughs> it says, the young man, verse 6 says, young men came forward, wrapped up the body, and carried him out and buried him. This young men were ready. Okay, Peter. He must have waved him off. They came down, picked up his body, took him out and buried him. And uh, then it says, the young men came in and finding her dead, Carried her out and buried her beside him. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, in many third world countries, uh, they don't have embalming. Uh, and so they, they have to. In fact, when we uh, lived in uh, uh, Costa Rica, uh, the, there was law. You had, to be embal- you had to be buried. If you weren't embalmed, you had to be buried within 24 hours. And uh, even today, there's many countries that's probably the rule, especially in any country that's warm and hot. They have to get these bodies buried. In the Old Testament, it seems to indicate that they buried them the same day that they died. Uh, But here, we're we're talking less than three hours. They they buried Ananias. And I, I keep thinking, didn't they have to call the police? Uh, the, there, wasn't there a coroner in there that came in and said, yeah, they're dead? Or uh, no telling the family? Uh, Sapphira didn't even know her husband had died. And 
No eulogies, <clears throat> nothing. They just buried him. The young men came in, no question it asked, and, and they buried him. God was not messing around. He had them buried. And, uh, I, you know, it, this reminds me that, uh, you know, there's some things in Scripture that we can't explain. You know, to me, this seems like, how did they just do that? And this, How was it like in those times that they could do that? And it reminds me that a lot of times we don't testify to our friends because we're afraid that they're going to ask us a portion of Scripture that we don't understand. And I found out that, you know, it's okay to, to say, you know what, I don't understand it either. But here's what I do understand. Are you with me? Don't let any lack of knowledge of the Scriptures, which we all have, don't let it interfere with you talking about the knowledge of the Scriptures that you do know. Uh, what did Ananias and Sapphira lie about? Well, evidently they sold property for a certain amount. Uh, they went into Peter laid the money down, told him that that was the total price of the property. And we, we read the text, and we know that they kept back some for themselves. And uh, uh, Peter says, uh, you could have kept all the property. It was at your disposal. No one said that you had to come in, sell your property, had to come in and, and lay it down. You could have kept half of it back. You could have kept whatever. You didn't even have to give anything. But you came in, you've kept some of it back, and now you're lying about how much you sold the land for. And the results were that they died. (laughs) What was their purpose for lying? I don't know exactly their purpose for lying. Evidently, they wanted to be exalted by the church. Uh, you know, the scriptures before this, if you'll read them, they talk about people, uh, several people had sold land, brought it at the, the apostles' feet. Nobody had need. And then they, they mention a man named Joseph, who everybody called Barnabas, because Barnabas means son of encouragement. And Barnabas sold land and gave it all. And perhaps they wanted some of the adulation that, that Barnabas had. Uh, they, uh, they were willing to lie about their successes. It reminds me also that, uh, you know, the scripture says, confess your faults one to another. And we'd rather confess our successes to one another than to confess our faults to one another. Uh, how did Peter know what was going on? Well, I believe it was just a gift of knowledge that the Lord had given. Peter was filled with the spirit of the living God. And he had a gift of knowledge knowing this is not what you paid for this. Uh, why such a harsh penalty? When we look at this and I think, whoa. You know, they were willing to give some. They just lied a little about it, you know. But why such a harsh penalty? Um, well, I look back and I thought about it, and it says, you know who shut the door of the ark, of, of Noah's ark? Noah didn't shut it. 
God shut it. God will put up with things so long, and then he will say, boom, that's it. No more. No more. Uh, The sons of Aaron. Aaron's sons offering incense uh, before the altar that was strange. You know what happened to them? God sent fire down that consumed them. Uh, struck them dead. Certain leaders opposed Moses in the desert. You all remember what happened to those leaders? 250 of them? The earth opened up and they were swallowed by the earth and then the earth came back down together. Um, in Acts at the foundation of the church. And it seems like God, especially when he's starting new works, will demonstrate his wrath for disobedience and his wrath for not doing what he says to do. Remember Achan that took the the, uh, trophies from uh, Jericho and then they got him and they said, what... Who took this? God showed them exactly who it was that came down. The draw came right down to Achan, and they stoned him to death. Uh, it seems like when God is especially starting good works, something new, he will show his judgment. Uh, Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Uh, by the way, I want to say something uh, about the epistles. The epistles were not written to unbelievers. John says this was written so that you might believe. But the epistles were not written to unbelievers. They were written to believers. They were written for, to you and I. So when it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He's talking to us, believers. We'd like to pass it on to unbelievers, but it really is us. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So if that's true, then we have to look at this portion of Scripture and say, what is God telling us? What's he speaking to us? You know, when you read the the Bible and you read a portion of the Bible, you need to look about, wait a minute, God, what are you speaking to me? What are you trying to tell me? In fact, our journal that we go through as a church, uh, one of the, the soap things is, hey, how, how is this going to change my life? I read this. How am I going to change? What am I going to do differently than I'm doing right now? So what can we learn from this portion of Scripture? Well, Peter asked a key question to Ananias. You know what it was? What were you thinking? What were you thinking? How 
Did you let Satan fill your heart with this lie? What were you thinking? Uh, I love the grace of God. In fact, uh, when I got saved, I was recently back from Vietnam. I was raised a Catholic, and uh, I was a pretty good Catholic. Uh, but uh, uh, especially in Vietnam, uh, anytime I could go to Mass, I went to Mass, and it was just, uh, I tried to be good. And uh, But uh, when I got back from Vietnam, it was like, whew, that's over with, you know. And uh, I thought, well, I can kind of do what I want to do now, you know. So I met a guy on Hollywood Boulevard that says, you're not saved. And he told me the first time I ever heard the gospel that Jesus Christ came to die in my place and rise again. As a Catholic, I would go into confession and uh, confess my sins. Uh, and then I get out of the confessional and I almost wish that I would be run over by a Greyhound bus because... I was ready to go. But give me a couple hours, a couple of days, I wouldn't be ready to go. So Catholics are kind of like the Jewish people. We go around guilty all the time. Things that we should have done, things that we didn't do, and uh, things that we we did. Um, So I love the grace of God. I love that the fact that the mercies of God are new every morning. How many is that a good scripture for? Right? Every morning I quote that to the Lord. Lord, thank you that your mercies are new every morning. I love that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, I love the grace of God. It changed my life. I, I was changed by hearing Wait a minute. Jesus didn't just come to show us how to live. He came to die in our place. And when I received him into my heart, later on baptized with the Holy Spirit, my life was changed. The Lord called me into the ministry through that. My life has never been the same. And I find that uh, I'm a preacher of grace. I've always been a preacher of grace. Because of that, I know what it is to be under law. And I love grace. I love his forgiveness. I love his infilling. I love all about grace. But there's another side of grace. One side of grace is there's forgiveness of sin in Jesus' name. The other side of grace is we don't have to sin. We don't have to sin. We've been delivered. We've been set free. We, uh, Romans tells us, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies, in the power thereof. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I think we have it up here. I'm going to turn to it. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, 
I memorized it, but it's in the King James Version. I memorized it, so let me let me try in Romans 12 in the NIV. By the way, I love the NIV. Uh, it makes life so much easier. I got tired of explaining things from the King James Bible. This word really doesn't mean this. It means that. But... Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our spiritual worship, I love to come into this church. I love to worship. I love the worship team, and I love to raise my hand. I love to worship. But that's not really what worship is all about. That's just a tiny portion of worship. Worship is our lives. We are living sacrifices. We are to worship God 24-7. We are to, to lift him up with our lives. We are to allow his Holy Spirit to flow through us, present ourselves to him, and allow him to be glorified through us. That's our spiritual worship. And then verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. And how many know that it's very easy to be conformed to the patterns of this world. Maggie and I were talking about this, and she, she was saying, you know, I find that uh, seeking after the Lord is kind of like swimming upstream. You've got to seek his face. If you don't seek his face, it's easy to be carried around down the stream of life and be caught up in life. But... We have to swim upstream. Paul doesn't say pray without ceasing for nothing. He doesn't say put off the old man and put on the new for nothing. He doesn't say walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh for nothing. He's telling us and God expects us to seek him on a daily basis and even on an hourly basis going through life. Dear Lord God, what should I say in this situation? Help me. Uh, there's a song out. Uh, I don't know. You know, I'm kind of hard of hearing, so I hear songs on the radio, and I don't know. But it's about Jesus. Uh, don't tell me he can't do it. How many know that song? Don't tell me he can't do it. I've seen resurrection power. I've seen real life healing. So don't tell me he can't do it. And it's really helped me because when I when I feel like, you know, saying a wisecrack or getting back at somebody, that comes through my mind. Don't tell me that God can't give you grace to be a loving, kind person. Don't tell me he can't do it. So is there anyone that would stand up and say, God can't do it? God can do it if we allow God to do it. If we're on our own, forget about it. We're sliding downstream. We're two steps forward and three steps back. We can do it. God can do it. So don't tell me God can't do it. Don't tell me when I say it's possible that we don't have to sin. Uh, I haven't reached that point yet. I'm like the Apostle Paul. Not that I've arrived. (laughs) I don't expect to arrive until I get to heaven. Uh, my favorite scripture is, He that is dead is freed from sin. And I'm afraid Maggie's going to put that on the tombstone. 
He that, he that is dead is freed from sin. We all know we're moving on. But we're not all moving on. Some of us just say, oh, well, you know, God will forgive and I can do and I can just go to the stream of life and his, his mercies are new every morning. So I'll just confess, you know, that's not the attitude that we should have. Uh, I'd like to read Second uh, Corinthians 5, 7 through 11. Second Corinthians 5. Thank you, Dave, for getting this up. 7 through 11. We live by faith, Paul writes, and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him. We make it our goal to please Him. We make it our goal to please Him. Unfortunately, we make it our goal to please ourselves so many, so many times. But he, Paul writes, I make it our goal, we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. He says this, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each may receive what is due him for the things done. I think the Lord's calling even right now. (laughs) For the things done while in the body, whether good or bad, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We tend to think only that the unbelievers will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, but we all appear And we all have to give an explanation for the things that we have done, good things we've done, and the bad things that we have have done. Uh, He goes on to write, Since then, verse 11, we know what it is to fear the Lord. You know, the Old Testament says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom. But Paul writes, I know what it is to fear the Lord. I looked this up in, in, in the Greek, and it fear, this, this word means pious reverence, the earnest desire to have God's approval. The earnest desire to have God's approval. Being responsible to Him for your moral character and conduct. Being responsible to God for your moral character and conduct. He goes on in verse uh, 17 of this chapter. He says, um, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old has gone, the new has come. And then chapter 6, verse 1 says, As fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. 
I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I want to say this about grace. And I want to say this about pleasing the Lord and living to please the Lord. Uh, It's a much easier way to go. I heard one time that somebody said that you can tell where God has been leading the Christian. You can see the skid marks the whole way. God is going to discipline us. God is going to move us where he wants us to be moved. Uh, It's an enigma to me. I don't understand it totally. I know that through my life, I've made some decisions that were just for me. I've tried to make decisions that were God-ordained and led, but I know I, I have made mistakes. But I also know this, that the Lord says, I am your shepherd. Somehow God knew you were going to be here today. Before you were even born. Somehow he has led us, even in our mistakes and what we've done, he's brought us. Some of us have suffered through life because not paying attention to the Lord, not not seeking his face. It's been a hard road. We've been skidding and fighting and cussing the whole way. And some of us said, hey, God, I, I want to be led of you. I don't want to be led by myself. I don't trust myself. I trust you. And the Lord wants us to trust him. He wants us to put our faith in him. He wants us to please him. He wants us to make, he wants us to make that our goal in life that we would please him. And you know what? Uh, you know, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance, self-control, uh, is contrasted to the work of the Spirit. Have you ever noticed that? The work of the Spirit. It's much easier to go through life loving people than hating people. It's much easier to go through life being kind than being a jerk. It's much easier for us. God has said... Not only have I given you grace and I want to change your life and I'm changing you from one degree of glory to another. That's my goal. That's what I want for you. Know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? God says, I, I, want, you to, I want you to have joy and peace in your life. And this is the way you do it. Uh, Maggie and I have always talked about uh, we sing the song, I Surrender All. It's a good song. But God doesn't want us to surrender. He wants us to present. He wants us to present yourself holy and acceptable unto him. He wants us to actively seek him and say, Okay, God, I'm presenting myself to you this day. I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think, Lord? I'm thinking, Lord... Uh, Without you, I'm not thinking right. I need your mind. I need who you are. I need you to touch me. So I love the grace of God, but I also understand that God has his ways. 
Now, when I ask you something, does God still judge us today? Think about it. We're going to receive communion in just a minute. In fact, I would like the worship team to to come up. But I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians 11. Starting with verse 23. Excuse me, I have so many old notes in here, I can't read the scripture. Uh, For I received from the Lord also what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he goes on and writes this, which we'd all prefer he didn't write. But he writes this, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For everyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. For everyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number have fallen asleep. A number have died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. As he goes on, see then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If someone is hungry, it should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instruction. Well... As harsh as it seems for Ananias and Sapphira, they lied. But the church was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, you haven't lied just to us. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And he struck them down. Well, we don't have to be struck down. We can fear the Lord, a healthy fear of saying, Dear Lord, I don't want to be outside of who you want me to be. I don't want to do what you don't want me to do. I want to do what you want me to do.
I want to follow after you. Will we make mistakes? Yes, of course we will. Of course we will. We're all going to make mistakes. My daughter was on an online dating thing, and she was dating this uh, Christian guy. (laughs) He called her up one day and said, I did it. I went the whole day without sinning. (laughs) She goes, who's this guy? (laughs) We all sin. We come short of the glory of God. Thank God he has taken our sins. But we need to be changed. We need to, to cooperate. We need to present. We need to reckon ourselves dead to sin, alive unto him. We need to put off the old man and put on the new. We need to walk in the spirit, not fulfill the lust of the flesh of the flesh. Thank you. Would you stand with me? Thank you. You know, um, I've thought a lot about this taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. I don't know all the ramifications of that, but I, I do know this. If you're taking it thinking that you are worthy, that's an unworthy manner. We're unworthy. We're unworthy servants. We've been made worthy by the blood of Jesus. We've been made worthy by his death and burial and resurrection. But if we think, oh, man, I deserve communion, we're unworthy. That's taking it in an unworthy manner. And part of it is saying, dear Lord, I receive this now and I, I confess my sins to you. If you're caught up in sin, some sin that besets you, and you're willing to put it aside, tell the Lord, Lord, I want to put it aside. I don't want to go on living a secret life. What were you thinking? Well, Ananias wasn't thinking. He was thinking, but he wasn't thinking about the Lord. He wasn't thinking that the Lord sees us in our everyday activity. He wasn't thinking even that the Lord sees our minds. I've always wondered, you know, we've all read stories about pastors and great leaders that have failed. They have committed adultery or they've been bezeled or they've done whatever. And I always come back and think, what were they thinking? Were they thinking that God didn't see the secret things in their life? The, the very secret things that were only thoughts? That, were they thinking that God didn't see these thoughts ahead of time and see what was going on? What were they thinking? Well, they were thinking that God didn't see. Or that they were thinking, it really doesn't matter that much. Or they were thinking... I'm going to get a divorce because God wants me to be happy. You know what I'm talking about? No, God wants you to do His way. He wants you to follow after Him. He wants you to realize that you can do all things through Christ that gives you strength. And you can have a joy-filled, happy life. Lord, this bread represents your body, and we take it now. 
In Jesus, your name. (laughs) You know, you can't take this cup without looking up a little bit. And I want to leave with this. The Lord says this. This is a new covenant of my blood, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. But as you take it, this blood, this represents the blood of Christ, cleanses us from all sin, takes our sin away. And as we drink it, we have to lift our head. And the scripture says that God is the glory and the lifter of our head. Would you allow the Lord to lift you up even now?